Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on August 18, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. And this evening, we're talking with Catherine Gale, co-author of the book, The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy, published by Harvard Business Review Press, June 23 of this year. Catherine is a business leader, writer, speaker, and political innovation activist. She was president and CEO of Gale Foods, a $250 million high-tech food manufacturing company in Wisconsin with approximately 350 employees. Prior to joining Gale Foods in 2007, Catherine held a range of positions in industry and government. She holds a BA from the University of Notre Dame, an MA in education from the Catholic University of America, and an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Catherine Gale, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening. Dan, I am so happy to be talking to you. Right. You know, I want to say, uh, first of all, that I I really enjoyed reading your book. Um, and here it is. A, a lot of people that I talk to, friends and family mainly, but uh, they agree that something is terribly wrong in our political system these days. But the discussion usually centers around someone doing something bad. You know, Trump said this or Biden did that or something. But really, the book that you co-authored with Michael Porter does what I can best describe as rising above all that noise. And I think most people would agree that there are fundamental problems in our political system, but few, in my experience, can really put their finger on precisely what's wrong and what needs to change. And so this is where the book really shines, in my opinion. In plain language, it lays out the problem in detail, but doesn't get lost in just defining the problem. The book suggests clear, workable solutions into how to make our political system work for the people. Oh, well, and Dan, thank you for saying that, because you really hit on what I like about the book, too, which is that we get to solutions. Um, I, You and I may be similar in that as we've experienced our own personal frustrations with the results from our political system over time, I know I just ordered book after book after book to try mm -hmm. to understand what was going on. And as soon as I would get the book, the first thing I did is go into the table of contents and I looked for the part where the author would get to what we should do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there was never a what we should do, but when there was, it was almost always a chapter at mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. And it was often not uh, like solutions that were sort of not up to the challenge of mm -hmm. changing enough that mm -hmm. it would make a difference for a country, or they were things that we couldn't ever get done, like constitutional amendments. So essentially, they would suggest things that were not powerful or that were not achievable or worse, that were both. And I don't mean that as a criticism to these authors, some of whose analysis was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean it as an explanation of the challenge of figuring out where in this dysfunctional system is the opportunity for powerful intervention available to us. Right. And when I you know, came to the time to do my own full-time work in how to change politics, I was very focused on making sure that all my work 
ended and had its intention as ending in things that we could do that were both powerful and achievable or said another way, things that are both doable and worth doing. Yeah. So I'm glad that you saw that in the book. Yeah. That's the whole point. Good. Well, I, I, I really like that. And, but you also, uh, in the book, you, you obviously presented some solutions, but you laid out the problem pretty well too. And, and this I thought was very interesting. Um, is that, you know, many Americans, we all think the system is broken and that gridlock in Washington is normal. Um, but you disagree that the system is broken. You say the system is working. It's just not currently benefiting the American people. So um, I find that, be, I mean, I, having read the book, I understand where you were coming from, but, but could you explain that to our listening audience? I think our favorite thing to say for many of us, when we talk about politics, if we're not complaining about a specific candidate or, or current official is to just use this phrase, you know, Washington is broken, just mm-hmm. period. And yet when we really look at it, it turns out that Washington isn't broken. It's working exactly how it's designed to work. And what our confusion comes from is that it's reasonably natural that we assume that our political system was designed to work for the public interest, for the citizens and for the voters. And I certainly would say that the constitution had that as its intention, but the incentives that drive day-to-day behavior are not those that come from the constitution. They are the ones that have been created or shall we say made up over time to you know guide the day-to-day functioning mm-hmm. of our elections of our legislative process and these have been designed and optimized over time by and for the benefit of private gain-seeking organizations specifically our two major political parties and their industry allies, which together comprise what we call the political industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And the political, and it turns out that the needs of the political industrial complex are not exactly aligned with the needs of the citizens who okay. should actually be the most important customer mm-hmm. of what I talk about as the politics industry. And so we've come to this point where the politics industry, the political industrial complex, if you think of it in a sense as a business that wants power and revenue, is doing great. While the customers of that business are very, very dissatisfied. You know, that's why we say Washington is broken. Mm -hmm. And it's this insight using this lens of competition and thinking about customers and companies that helps us see where things have gone wrong in politics. So what what we end up saying is there are some customers who are doing well in the existing arrangement, and those are party primary voters, donors, and special interests. And then, of course, the providers themselves, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and all the consultants and lobbyists and everybody involved in that industry. Mm -hmm. And then the major customer, 
is not doing well. So what we get at in our book and in our work is how do we need to change the system so that the most important and powerful customer would be the public interest, right. the citizens writ large. Right. And in, in, in analyzing the situation from a business um, or yeah, business industry type of perspective, um, you and your co-author, Michael Porter, who is a uh, Michael Porter is a world renowned economist. Um, you argue in the book uh, that politics is an industry like any other industry. And so what you've done is you've applied Michael Porter's five forces framework to show how it could be made more competitive. So I find that to be very interesting because you, you analyze the situation and you've, you're using now this, this tool that uh, Michael Porter created to um, help describe how it could be fixed. So could you briefly describe how the five forces and uh, or describe the five forces and how they apply to politics? Absolutely. So the five forces framework was developed by Michael uh, many decades ago and has become essentially the gold standard that business people use to understand how competition is working in their industry. And I actually got the idea to use the five forces for politics when I was still running my food manufacturing company in Wisconsin, because I was using the five forces to do the business strategy for my company. Mm -hmm. But I was already deeply concerned about politics and involved in some political change initiatives. And so while I was doing politics for my food business, while I was doing the five forces for my food business, I was in the back of my mind also running the exact same analysis on the politics industry. And I eventually decided to write this up and I eventually asked Michael Porter to join me because I thought that by using this framework, it's not the only valuable way to look at politics, mm -hmm. but it's uniquely helpful for business people and for anyone who, does, who isn't an expert in politics, but is a consumer because we're all consumers to understand what's gone wrong because we're so used to uh, being customers. And we're so, and as for business people, they're used to running their company. So the five forces are the rivals in a given industry. So let's say it could be uh, GM and Ford. Mm -hmm. General Motors and Ford. And then it, it includes the suppliers to the two rivals that are at the center. Uh, so all the auto, auto parts manufacturers that would send their materials to the assembly plants could be, would be suppliers. Mm -hmm. And then it also includes channels. So the car dealerships of how the cars get out to their potential customers and that it includes the customers. And finally, there in any industry there's the threat of new entrants which is what could come in to uh sort of threaten mm -hmm. the existing car companies could it be a new car company it certainly could but there are also substitutes which is a new way of doing business so in many ways for example uber and lyft have been substitutes to people owning their own cars 
Mm-hmm. And so that's another way that people can use to get around instead of owning their own cars. And it's all of these forces that come together in an industry and shape how that industry is performing. And they shape who gets the value from that industry. And in healthy competition, the value is distributed reasonably evenly which is to say that customers do well, customers get their needs met at a reasonable price at the same time as the company does well enough to continue to grow and prosper and their suppliers do well enough. And, you know, there's, there's always the threat of new competition that makes those companies want to keep improving for their customers because they know that if they don't, then some other customer, some other a company will come in and take the customer's business away. Right. Well, when you look at politics, that's where you get at the key point, mm-hmm. which is to say, our current two parties are virtually guaranteed to continue to be the only two that we have, no matter how dissatisfied the public and the voters are. Because in any other industry, you would see with this, in any other industry with this much power and revenue Mm -hmm. and this much customer dissatisfaction, you would see a new entrant. You would see an entrepreneur coming in to create a new competitor that was responding to what the dissatisfied customers really wanted. But that doesn't happen in our politics industry because it turns out that the two parties work very well together in one particular way. And that is behind the scenes, they collude to erect huge barriers to entry. That's one of the forces. So they want to jointly protect themselves from any new competition. For Mm -hmm. example, they don't want the Alliance party to do well. They want the Alliance party to have a really hard time getting on the ballot. And they want the Alliance Party to have a really hard time convincing voters to support them. And Mm -hmm. one of the ways that this happens is because the rules of how we elect our candidates has have been uh, have the effect of making new competition often be considered a wasted vote. Yeah or often be considered a spoiler. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that anybody who's listening to this, who's engaged in the Alliance Party sees this, which is let's say you're telling your friends to vote for this Alliance Party candidate and your friends and family say, well, I can't vote for that person because I'm just wasting my vote. They have no chance of winning. Yeah. So it's kind of chicken and the egg. Well, they have no chance of winning because you're not voting for them, but you're not voting for them because they have no chance of winning. And the other reason people don't vote is they say, well, if I vote for that person, then I'll I'll sort of spoil the election for the major party candidate that uh, that would be my second choice. Yeah. And until we get rid rid of that structural barrier to entry of wasted and spoiled votes, we really can't get the competition that forces the parties to care about about what the about what the public wants. Because if you think about it, the one thing the parties don't have to do is 
deliver results because no matter how dissatisfied the voter is, that voter still likely prefers what their side says they're for than what the one other side says they're for. Right. Which is to say that you might be disappointed with what Democrats are delivering, but that won't make you a Republican. Or you were disappointed with what Republicans are getting done, but that doesn't make you a Democrat. So voters can keep choosing the lesser of two evils, and Republicans and Democrats can keep doing fine, and the Alliance Party can keep having a hard time growing to a large enough um, party to threaten that duopoly. And that's just works fine for the parties, but works terribly for the country. Yeah. So that's why we present the solutions that we talk about in our book. It's to correct that power imbalance and create more competition to get things done on behalf of the American people. You know, just to uh, just to add to what you said there, I didn't watch Michelle Obama's complete uh, speech yesterday for the Democratic National Convention, but I did I did catch this one phrase where she said, um, "People don't uh, don't support other candidates." She's t- well, she's telling people not to support other candidates to just support Joe Biden, and that's how ingrained this thought process is in our political system. It's this, hey, there's only two out there, so you got to pick one or the other. So. Um, I, I I totally understand what you're saying there, and it's 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 so uh, systemic in our political system that it is almost impossible to get out of it. But let's talk uh, about your uh, about your solutions, though, because you had some very exciting things to talk about with um, where you advocate uh, for primaries with um, a single nonpartisan ballot, which is somewhat radical. I think some states are doing this now, but. Uh, in your case, you're talking about the f- the top five candidates. So regardless of party affiliation, the top five candidates would proceed to the general election. I like that process. Could you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. So the the name for the solution that we propose in our book and in our work is called Final Five Voting. We want to change the way we vote in order to change the incentives for the people once they're elected. We're not so much worried about changing who gets elected. We're not so much worried about changing people's views. This is all nonpartisan. What we're worried about and focused on is changing what the winners do when they're in Congress. Mm -hmm. We very much focus on Congress. So we want them to have the freedom to actually uh work together to compromise to collaborate to make deals to get things done to move forward on the difficult issues and the way we do that is with two changes to our voting system first what you just mentioned for the party primaries the party primaries are totally broken dan Mm -hmm. because they force democrats far to the left and republicans far to the right and they create so much space between them that once someone's elected to Congress, when they want to solve a problem, the most important question they have to ask themselves is not if it's a good idea, you know, to to make this change to immigration or healthcare or infrastructure program, et cetera. They have to ask themselves if they'll be able to win their party primary the next time. Right. And it's very hard to win primaries unless you're super far to the right and super far to the left. So essentially that blocks all ability to work collaboratively. So let's just get rid of party primaries. 
We'll have one primary, an open top five primary, as you mentioned, all, everybody running, Greens, Libertarians, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and Alliance Party people would be on the same ballot. And the top five finishers automatically advance to the general election, which gives us a dynamic competition, not just of candidates, but also of ideas mm -hmm. and visions for the country. And then the second thing we need to change is that in November, when we go vote on these five candidates for senator or these five candidates for congressional representative, we get to rank our choices yeah. because there will be someone in there that is our top choice, sort of like, oh, I, it would be so fabulous if this person won, mm -hmm. all the way down to our least preferred candidate, something along the lines of over my dead body, would I want that person to be representing me in Congress? Right. And when we rank our choices that way, I, it creates the effect of getting rid of wasted votes and getting rid of spoiled votes. And we use those as an instant runoff. Mm -hmm. So when the polls close, now we count up all the first place votes. And if someone gets over 50%, we have a winner. But if nobody gets over 50% out of those five, let's say the vote is essentially split, you know, almost 20% to each candidate, then we don't just take the person who was, you know, was at 21%. We take, we take, we let the last candidate be dropped off. And then we count the votes again among the four candidates that are remaining. And this series of instant runoffs results in electing the candidate with majority support. And it completely gets rid of the barriers to entry for new competition like the Alliance Party. Mm -hmm. So when we do that, we open up the industry, the marketplace in politics and make it that you can't win unless you're making a majority of general election voters happy and that if you're not making them happy, that there's an opportunity for political entrepreneurs to come into the marketplace to get your vote, to effectively get your business. Yeah. And that's the key. Competition is the key to progress. Mm -hmm. It's the key to innovation. It's the key to results. And because competition delivers accountability. Yeah. Yeah, I think also when when you have when you have to compete in such an arena like this, which is truly competition, um, you tend to not run negative ads, right? Because it, 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 the system that you described, you know, prior to this, with with what uh, you would call plurality voting, anybody that makes more than anybody else wins, even if that means you're only at twenty one percent of the vote. That means that you can basically disenfranchise nearly 80% of the people out there by making fun of their candidate or something like that. Whereas in ranked choice voting, you better not do that because you're probably going to need those people. If you only make 21%, you're going to need those other people on your team uh, to vote for you for their second choice. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to run negative ads so much. Yes, uh, there's definitely data that shows that there's less negative campaigning in ranked choice voting systems. And it certainly makes sense strategically, which is to say in a duopoly where there's only two players, you can win the business by either saying 
you know, vote for us, buy from us because we're so great. Our product is wonderful. All these great things about it. Or you can get it when there's only two, you can get someone to vote for you by saying that other choice is really horrible and evil and awful. Mm -hmm. And so right now, our duopoly of Republicans and Democrats has gotten to the point where they find it most effective to win to really demonize the other side, yeah. which might be effective for their campaigns, but the shambles it leaves us after the election when they actually have to work together in Congress to solve our problems is really uh, a mess. And that's one of the key reasons why we don't solve our problems. So getting rid of negativity as a winning campaign strategy is really helpful in being able to legislate powerfully after people are elected. So uh, I, we're running a little bit out of time right here. I, I, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about this because there's so many more questions that I have. But um, you, uh, for your book, you say you're donating all the proceeds to the politics, uh, proceeds from the politics industry to the Institute for Political Innovation. And uh, this sounds like a very interesting organization. You can find it online at www.political-innovation.org. Um, what can people do? What kind of action can they take at this point to help make this a more perfect union? Oh, that was an inspirational question, how you put it. It inspired <laughs> me in that moment. Thank you. Okay, so yes, the purpose of the book is action. Listeners who really buy into this idea that we need more healthy competition. And I assume many in the Alliance Party would agree with that uh, even before this podcast. They can go to the website and they can get involved in three different ways. We need people to join or found campaigns in their state to implement Final Five voting. So at our website, you can I don't know if you can find out yet if there's a campaign in your state, but that functionality will be up soon, or otherwise you can connect with us and we'll help you know if there's a campaign in your state for Final Five voting and connect you with that actual campaign, or we'll talk to you about how you could found one. Perfect. And that's how it works. I founded a campaign in my home state of Wisconsin with a fellow CEO in Wisconsin uh, back in 2017, and we're really you know pleased with our progress so far. Hmm. The second thing you can do is fund. So all these campaigns need resources to get final five voting across the finish line in their states. So we talk about this as political philanthropy. If you don't have time uh, to focus on, you know, really running or volunteering in the actual campaign, you can donate to support those campaigns. We are happy to help direct you as a small donor or as a large political philanthropist. So again, uh, just get in touch with us at IPI, at the website that that you mentioned, Dan. Yeah. And then the third thing, and this is something we all need to do, is evangelize. And there are resources on our website that you can send out. But I would start with saying, if you if this podcast appealed to you please share it with your friends and family and then share this message that there is something powerful that we can and must do to change our political system separate from voting for candidates in elections. And I don't 
argue at all that elections are not important. They're super important and everybody needs to continue to vote. But that's not going to get us out of our problems. It hasn't yet. We need to change the system. So you need to tell people about that. Okay. At our website, in addition to sharing this podcast, you can share links to articles. You can share what will soon be up, which is a 20-minute video of the theory and the solution and ask people to watch it. And you can also certainly go to uh, your local bookstore or online and order our book, The Politics Industry, and share that with people as well. The message needs to get out so that when your friends and family have the opportunity to vote yes, to implement final five voting in their state, they, they know to vote yes, or because maybe they're also the ones that want to found or fund a campaign. And that's how it works in a democracy is we spread the idea and we get enough buy-in that we turn the tide. So it's really quite exciting. Yeah, in your book, you talk about uh, uh, state ballot initiatives. There are a certain number of states out there that allow citizens to actually write some of the legislation. So I looked it up. I live in Missouri. I looked it up. And sure enough, Missouri is one of those states that give you an entire flowchart online as to what you can do to uh, get, get a ballot initiative on the ballot. It's pretty arduous, but it is possible. So your book turned me on to that idea. And uh, I'd like to pursue that. Again, the website is political-innovation.org. Well, then my invitation is not only to the listeners, but also to you specifically, Dan. Please be in touch. We would love to help you start an initiative for Final Five voting in Missouri. Wonderful. Thank you. And we've been talking with Catherine Gale, business leader, writer, speaker, political innovation activist, and co-author of the book, The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy, released just about two months ago. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or IndieBound. Catherine, uh, thank you very much for all the hard work that you're doing to make our nation a more perfect union, and thank you for stopping by this evening to chat with us. Thank you, Dan. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your work as well. And thank you for tuning into the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. And if you have any suggestions for future topics or suggestions for people we might interview in a future podcast, please drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. The Alliance Party is all one word, no hyphens, no underscores, podcast at theallianceparty.com. All content for this podcast is copyright The Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of The Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of The Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, 
and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.